Well, hello, everybody. Thank you once again for joining me on this beautiful day of a beautiful week within a larger, beautiful year, within a larger, beautiful life. You know, it's really, it's crazy to ponder how massive reality truly is. I was driving down the road tonight and I saw one of uh, the stars in the sky and I remember seeing on the news someone saying that um, this night you'd be able to see some of the, the planets in our solar systems. And, you know, from our point of view, they just look like stars. They're just lights in the sky. And I remember looking and thinking, wow, our, our universe is, is so huge. We, we are so small in the grand scheme of things. If I'm looking at a planet like Saturn or Jupiter right now, that is an unbelievably larger size than Earth is, and it's millions light years away. We can't even fathom how far away it is. And to me, it just looks like a little tiny white speck in the sky. It really puts into perspective how huge and massive and powerful God truly is. That with a word, he spoke something that massive and, and ferocious and powerful into existence. It really makes us have to, to think what our, our place in this world really is. And if, if you've been listening for a while, you'd know that the answer to, well, what's our place in this world? I would say that it's revealed to us in God's word. And it ultimately gives us the the best the best framework for our purpose and how we should live our lives without without there being a God, without there being a higher purpose other than just the material world we see, then there really is no purpose to life. If we really are just sacks of meat that have bone and muscle, we're just walking around, and if we truly are just cells and, and neurons that are firing in the brain, if that really is the extent to our existence, there really is no purpose to life, is there? There's no purpose for me to get up every morning. There's no purpose for me to love my wife or my daughters. If all there truly is is the material world, then we have a real existential crisis of meaning on our hands. But for at least those who listen to this podcast and for many, many other believers around the world, luckily we would acknowledge that there is more to reality than just the material world. There is things going on that we may not be able to always sense or ever see, but there is a power far greater than this. And this power we call God, and, and this, this God gives us a purpose, a, a reason to live. And it's not to live for ourselves. It's to live for him. Because after all, if there is a being that is so powerful that he created this massive, unbelievably large and complex universe, then maybe just maybe we should listen to him. Maybe just maybe he does deserve our worship. And if this God decided to come down in the form of a man, and take upon himself to die for the very things that we deserve to be judged for, then maybe it would behoove us just a little bit to follow him and to follow his word.
Just a little thought. That has nothing to do with the podcast today. Uh, it just came to my mind, and I thought I would share that. But hey, I have a little life update for y'all. For, for those who are interested, uh, me and my wife were selling our house. And I mentioned this because it's funny how many things in your home can go unnoticed when you're just living your everyday life. Because when we, def- when, when we finally decided to sell our house, all of a sudden, we just started noticing a hundred different things that was wrong with it, that need to be fixed, that need to be touched up, that need to be moved, that need to be thrown out. <laughs> we forgot that these things existed. We didn't even realize the the messes that were in our home until we were like, oh my gosh, we have to make this thing look beautiful so we can sell it. <laughs> but it's been an exhausting week, and I'm glad that I'm able to take a break from it all and get into God's Word with y'all for a little bit. You know, last episode, if you haven't listened to it yet, go listen to it so you can understand what's going on here. But last episode, we laid the framework for understanding Romans 14. And what Paul does at the beginning of Romans 14 is he makes this distinction between the weak in faith and the strong. And what he does is he instructs the Roman church to not let their matters of opinion cause them to judge other believers. He does not want them to elevate their matters of opinion to a status of doctrine or commands where everyone else has to follow what you believe is right based off of your own opinion and not based off of God's word. So throughout the next five verses or so that we're going to be reading today, Paul expands on this framework to explain how this actually plays out in our daily interactions with believers. And you may find out with me that this is very interesting. We're going to be going through verses 5 through 12 here in Romans 14. And just like we always do, we're going to go ahead and read through it, then we will break it down. He says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. All right, hopping straight into verse 5. Once again, Paul says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So here, Paul touches on the second topic of disagreement that we're going to see in this chapter. The first one, if you'll remember, was food. And the second being the observance of holy days. And now, Paul does not get into details on the specific days in question, but it's implied, especially if you were a Jew or a Gentile at this time, it would be implied that he would be talking about days like Sabbath, the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, um, a lot of these holy days that were found in the Torah. And it's important to highlight the original purpose of these days and why Paul is okay with saying, hey, 
uh, if you don't esteem these days as holy, that's okay. We, I think we need to, to kind of break this open a little bit to understand. Because these days were originally established as a way for Israel to remember the things that Yahweh did to save them. And also they were established to, to set them apart from the surrounding nations. But now we have Jesus Christ that comes on the scene. In Christ, at this point, he's died and he rose from the dead. And because of that, he eliminated the need for Israel to be set apart from the world. Because like Paul has been saying in this entire letter to the Roman people, uh, you're not separated anymore. Christ died for all of you and Gentiles are now included in this promise, in this covenant people, in this tree of life. So if Jesus did that, then these days which were once holy in order to set Israel apart from the world, they no longer hold that same purpose. But nevertheless, these days were still a part of the Jewish custom. And if they are observing these days as a way of honoring the Lord, then Paul at least wants them to be fully convinced in their own mind that it is the right thing to do. He doesn't want them to do it just for the sake of trying to make other people happy. He wants them to do it because they truly do believe that it is a good thing and that they're honoring God by observing these holy days. But he wants to make the distinction that if you don't observe these holy days, it's okay. You, you, they, they don't serve the same purpose like they did before Jesus did what he did. But I like that Paul acknowledges that fact. I like that he acknowledges that there are those who will just see all days <laughs> as holding the same value. And why? Because they're all created by God. And if we're, if we're utilizing these days correctly, all of these days, every single day, can be used to honor God and give Him glory. If somebody wanted to, they could even make a biblical argument, especially if they were in the Roman church at this time, that all days should be considered as holy. You could point to Genesis 1, <laughs> the first chapter of the Bible. Because remember, God is the one who created an established order within the six days of creation, and then he rested on the seventh. And regardless of your view on the days of Genesis, which if, if y'all haven't dove into this crazy uh, pool of various views on the days of Genesis, just a quick synopsis, there's many different views. You kind of have the more... Uh, evangelical traditional view that the seven days are seven literal 24-hour days, and God literally created the world in seven days. That's one of the more traditional views. But then you have views where it's a day-age theory, where the days are actually uh, symbolic of just kind of time periods when God did certain things within the cosmos throughout the billions of years that the universe has been existed and formed and created and all of that. Then you have others that view the seven days as a, um, a literary style to point us towards the fact that God's creation is a cosmic temple. This view is actually really cool, and we'll probably get into this going into our Genesis series. But however you view the days on Genesis, the theological message is still the same, is that God 
is the God of every day. And every day within the narrative was used to bring order and life into this creation that God has made. It's a very strong metaphysical claim that every waking day is a day that was ordered by God. Therefore, it's justifiable to view every day as the same in terms of holiness and importance and purpose. On to verse 6. He says, The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Paul doesn't want them or us to forget the purpose behind all that we do and these various opinions that they held. Paul's saying, hey, uh, whoever observes the day as holy or whoever observes the day as just like every other day, uh, you observe that in honor of God. This doesn't get you off the hook. Every day you should be honoring God. It's like Paul is reminding them the ultimate reason that we should have behind our motives, that we should have behind our decisions and our actions, and that is namely to honor God. It's like Paul saying, you're, you're doing this to honor God, right? <laughs> like like you're, you're holding these holy days because you want to honor God. And if they say, um, no, okay, well, then you should be honoring God with these holy days. It's kind of like a challenge that Paul gives. But ultimately, he understands that the reason why the Jewish believers observed the Torah-specific days is in order to honor the Lord. That's why most of them chose to do it. And he extends this same reasoning of honoring God with what you do back to his first contention, his, his first argument when it came to food in the first few verses. He says, hey, for those who want to eat anything, they should be doing it in honor of the Lord, recognizing that what you have is only possible because of God, giving thanks to God for all of this abundance of food and all these various types of food that you're eating. You should give thanks to God because you wouldn't have that if it wasn't for God. It's only possible that you're able to eat anything because of God. And this is something I think that we forget in our materialistic worldview that we, that we hold, in our materialistic understanding of reality. If I ask any of you, hey, man, that's a good-looking burger you're eating. Where'd you get that burger? You would say, oh, well, yeah, you know, somebody, somebody killed a cow, and, and they, you know, processed the meat packaged it up and, you know, they made a deal with some store, the store sold it and I bought it and threw it on my grill and here it is. Or if you're eating some corn and I'm like, hey, explain to me where that corn came from. You say, well, I mean, well, you know, you, you put some stuff in the, in the dirt and, you know, the rainwater comes down and it hits it and it grows and then you go shuck it and then, you know, it comes from a farm and, and, and you would walk me through a materialistic process of how the food that you have came to be. And although that process is technically correct, it misses out on the greater metaphysical claim of where that truly comes from. And it makes me think of Psalm 104. And the author gives this beautiful, 
beautiful description of God's hand in everything, in everything. And he starts off in verse 27 describing the the deer and the animals in the field and how God provides for them. Look at what he says. He says, all these, all these animals, they look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. I don't, I don't know if y'all truly picked up on what the author was saying. It took me a few times to truly understand. The, the author of this psalm doesn't just view God as the one who created all things, like Genesis tells us. He views God as the one who ultimately gives everything to all things. The author's not stupid when he's writing this. He understands that the food that the animals are eating, he understands that it's growing from the ground. He understands, you know, the things that, that these, you know, animals have and that humans have. He understands that there's a, a materialistic process. He understands, you know, as a, a, in an agricultural society, he understands, yeah, you know, these things grow from the ground and, and we grab it and we process and we do this and that. He understands that. But the claim that he's making at the core of it all is that, God, you are the one that gives them their food. All the things that they have, you give it to them. The good things that they have is because you open up your hand. When they die, it's not because of some physical process. Ultimately, it's because you take away their breath. And when things are created, it's not because of a materialistic process. It's because you send forth your spirit. The the claim that the author is making is that God is the foundation of all things. Everything that we have comes from God. The, The author has a completely different fundamental view of reality. And I wish that our culture would adopt this more. I wish that we would view reality and view the things that we have and view the food that we eat and view reality this way. If, if we could just be reminded that God is the source of it all. So Paul's whole argument comes back to that question I would have asked you. Hey, where'd you get that burger? Where'd you get that piece of corn you're eating? If we understood this worldview that the psalmist has and that Paul has, our answer would be, I got it from God. God is the one that provided all the things that are physically necessary to cultivate this burger and this corn. It ultimately comes from God. God is the source. And so Paul's argument is whether you eat all this food or whether you abstain from eating all this food, You need to give thanks to God. You need to do it in a way that honors the fact that all of these things come from Him. Ultimately, all of it comes from Him. 
And not only are we to understand the larger claim on where our provision comes from, but Paul even extends this same understanding of reality to life itself. Look at verse 7. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. So ultimately, our lives and the actions that we take should be moving towards a constant sacrifice to God. This calls back to Romans 12 and verse 1 where Paul says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Both our life and death should be geared towards honoring God. And, and look, this may derail some of our plans that we have for our life. This most certainly, if we actually carried this out, this most certainly would derail plans that each and every one of us may have for our life. Because many of us have fostered life plans that center around what we want and our own desires. And oftentimes, this can cause us to put God on the back burner. It can cause us to do the exact opposite of what Paul says in verse 8. If we live, for, if we live life, we live it to the Lord. We live it in order to honor the Lord. And, and, and for Paul, he understands this ultimate metaphysical claim of life and death, that God is the one who reigns over it all. We have no life without God. And the sign of true reverence would be for us to live the life that we have for him. And so to circle back to Paul's original points, when it comes to these matters of opinion, the chief purpose behind these opinions and these actions that we hold, it should be to desire to honor God in everything that we do. If we have an, if we have an opinion about food, we should have that opinion about food and act it out in order to honor God. If we have an opinion about what days should be taken as holy or not holy, we should be doing that in order to honor God. And I would argue that this same principle would extend to all matters of opinion. I'll look at verse 9. I love verse 9. I want to read it again. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. All of this is encompassed in the purpose for the sacrifice that Jesus made. He did this so he can be Lord over those who are alive and those who are dead. You have to remember, Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, which means he conquered life. He, conquer, he, he was the Adam that Adam never was. Jesus, was. Jesus was the walking reality of what we were intent, that we were originally created to be in the garden, living a perfect, sinless life in fellowship and in relationship with God. But we ruined it, but Christ didn't. And because of that, he conquered life. But let's not forget that he died and he rose again, which means that he conquered death. And since he is the only one to ever do that, that makes him Lord over both of those things. Verse 10, 
Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Now, we will cover this quote and its purpose next week. But I do want to leave you with this thought regarding this quote that Paul gives. If God is going to judge every single person for their sins, what should be our role, if any, in trying to actively condemn them and judge them? I'll see y'all next week.